The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Genesis begins with God's creative power. It ends with hope. Our lives begin with God's creative power. But because of sinfulness, we stand in need of redemption. But because of God's creative power, we are made new through the work of Jesus Christ, applied to our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we come to the end of our lives, as followers of Christ, we come in hope. We come in hope of what is yet to be. So in this text before us today, in the end of chapter 49 through chapter 50, we're going to see both the death and burial of Jacob and the death of Joseph. And an instance sandwiched in between. First, let's concern ourselves with the death and burial of Jacob and how it points us to God's good purposes. Verse 28, it says, And all of these are the tribes of Israel. This follows the blessing of the twelve sons. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each one with a blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. In the words, I'm going to die. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with, with the field from Ephron, the Hittite, to possess a burial place there, He buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife, and there they buried Isaac and Rebekah, and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into his bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. The point is that this plot that Abraham owned in the land that God had promised him and his descendants This little plot of land was a small guarantee, a sign of the whole land that was one day to be theirs. This request of Jacob is a request of faith. His faith is not wavering to the end of his life. This is what Jacob believed. God will fulfill his promises. So take me there and bury me in the land. When you come to chapter 50, You see Jacob's burial, and it it really ought to grab hold of you, but the only way that it's going to do that is you've got to understand how things transpired at this point in time. You've got to understand some cultural, historical things. So I'll try to explain it as we move through it. Verse 1 should jump off the page. And Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. I've tried to encourage this along my years of pastoring to say to you, and I will repeat again. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians that we grieve not as those who have no hope. The Bible never says we do not grieve. God designed you to grieve. He created tears and that feeling down in your gut that needs to be expressed to let that grief come out. And here you see Joseph grieving the death of his father. You say, well, we ought not to grieve. We as Christians know what is coming. 
Yes, we know what's coming. That's why we grieve with hope. But we grieve. Here's why. Because this is not how it's supposed to be. Death is the result of sin, friend. That's not something we celebrate. We celebrate the life that is to come in Christ, but we mourn death. This period of mourning goes on for a long time. Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Now, this is an Egyptian practice, not a Jewish practice. Even today, if you die in Israel as a Jew, you're going to be buried in 24 hours. You're not going to be embalmed. This Egyptian practice was uh, performed on Israel, and it was done with a very practical purpose. So his body can get back to Canaan. Forty days are required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. Now, folks, that's significant because a Pharaoh was only wept over 72 days. So just shy of how long someone in Egypt would weep over the death of a king, Jacob gets 70 days. I think I read this week, uh, it was 14 days or something like that, that Winston Churchill lied in state so that the people of England could pass by. This is a whole lot longer, 70 days as people wept over and and remembered the death of Jacob. Verse four. When the days of weeping for him were passed, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh saying, if I have, if now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh saying, my father made me swear saying, I'm about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Therefore, let me please go up and bury my father and then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as the household of Joseph, his brothers and his father's household. Now that part in verse eight is about 70 people. Only their children, their flocks and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And they went up with him, both chariots and horsemen. Now, the chariots and horsemen are going to come back to play in Exodus, but this time they're going to pursue the children of Israel and try to destroy them, and God's going to decisively deal with them. Here, it's a friendly moment as they proceed out. Here's what you need to imagine in your mind that's happening. An Israelite slave, if you will, is living in Egypt, and he gets a king's funeral. All of the people of of Egypt, except Pharaoh, all the muckety-mucks, if you will, are in this procession to take this man back to Canaan. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lament, and he made a mourning for his father seven days. And when the inhabitants of the the Canaanites saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians, and therefore the place was named Abel Mizarim. That means, that word means mourning in Egypt. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he commanded, for his sons carried him in the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. Now look up here, because I noticed what's going on in your mind. You're Americans and you hate repetition. 
Hurry up. Come on. Why is the Bible saying that again? Instead of being an American and arguing in your mind that that just got repeated, here's what the Bible's doing when it repeats something. It's saying to you, time out. Think about what's happening here. This is the third time this has been repeated here in just a few short verses that this man's going to be buried here. It's telling you that God keeps his promise. And not only is he keeping his promise to Jacob, God's going to keep his promise. So the death of this man points us to God's good purposes and what he's going to do. Let's just look ahead for a second over to Exodus chapter 12 and we'll see what God's going to do. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth about 600,000 men. on foot besides women and children. So there's well over a million people now who move out of Egypt in the Exodus. Now remember, there were 70 of them. If you skip down to verse 40, it says, the time that the people had lived of Israel had lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So God kept his promise to his people and he set them free from the hands of the Egyptians. Well, let's go back to Genesis 50. We know this is coming because we know the rest of the scripture. But here, sandwiched between the death of Jacob and the death of Joseph is this account on what transpires between Joseph and his brothers. And what you want you to see here is Joseph's forgiveness of his brothers rests in God's good purposes. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Now, just pause right there and say, that's not likely. This is probably a lie. These brothers are probably lying again because there's no evidence that that's what Jacob did. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servant of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. In other words, we'll be your slaves. Just don't take retribution on us. Now, what's going to transpire is in, in Joseph's response to these brothers who expect retribution is going to be forgiveness. Now, let me just say this to you. I don't have time to tell the story. Yesterday in the hospital, outside of critical care, were multiple families. And a family got in a knockdown drag out to where they had to call the police over the lack of forgiveness. Their mother was dying in the other room. And these sons were coming to a physical altercation over who got to go in and be with their mother. That's what sin does. That's what the lack of forgiveness does. Joseph here extends forgiveness to his brothers. 
He says to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? In other words, here's what he's saying. Not in a smart way. This is just true. You're going to answer to God, brothers. God's God's going to deal with you. But I'm not God. I'm not just. I don't know fully how to deal with you. But here's what I do know. Verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me. And it was evil. But God meant it for good to bring about, bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Don't miss that. He didn't say, I forgive you. I know I'm supposed to. He spoke kindly to them. He comforted them. Let me just make a few comments about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not forgetting. When this comes up, Joseph weeps. He remembers. Memory brings pain. So then what is forgiveness then? Forgiveness is erasing the debt. Forgiveness is refusing to rehearse in your mind the sin over and over and over again. If we don't do this as followers of Jesus, we are communicating to two groups of people in our life something very significant. As a follower of Christ, dealing with a non-believing person who has wronged you, when you do not forgive them, here's what you're saying to them. You're saying to that individual, and an eternity in hell is not enough for you. What you deserve to even the scales between us is a slap in the face and a cold shoulder every time I'm around you. To our believing brothers and sisters, for us not to extend forgiveness to them, We're saying to them when we are with them or we are avoiding them, we are saying Christ's humiliation and death was not enough for you. Actually, here's what we're saying to God. God, your standards might have been satisfied for him or her, but mine haven't. That's why Jesus said, those who are forgiven, forgive. When we we grasp the magnitude of what God has given to us, then we extend it to other people. That's the evidence of Christ in us. What's driving Joseph here is that he understands something bigger than what his brothers did. He understands that God is bringing about his purposes in spite of human sinfulness. There could be more said, but let's return. Verse 22. The death of Joseph anticipates God's good purposes. First, let's look at his final words. Now, by the way, I have written in the margin of my Bible that 54 years pass between verse 21 and verse 22. Sometimes we need to be helped that way when we're reading the scripture. The Bible can move that fast between verses. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years. That's exactly how long Joshua lived too. The two most positively spoke of human beings in the Bible. 
And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children of Machir, that name means one who was sold. He's obviously named after his grandfather or the experience of his grandfather. The son of Manasseh were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old and they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Let me just point out a couple of significant things here. In verse 24, this is the first time the three patriarchs are mentioned in the same sentence in the Bible. There's a summary here of everything that's been going on in Genesis. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this God who has promised and accomplished on behalf of Israel, this God will surely visit you and you will carry up my bones from here. So Joseph dies, they embalm him and they put him in a coffin. And here's a question. This is just simple, but if you think about it for a moment, it, it, it causes you to understand something. I'm getting a ring up here, guys. Uh, <clears throat> So Jacob dies, they embalm him, and then they what? Bury him. Joseph dies, they embalm him, and they do what? Put him in a coffin, they do not. So here's how Genesis ends, anticipation. you're just quickly reading you miss it there's something else going to happen something else is going to transpire it's all based off this promise God will surely visit you and you will carry up my bones from here now I'll just read this verse to you in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, verse 22 it says this by faith Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. So this moment, this statement in verse 25 is a statement of faith. I'm trusting in what God is going to do. Now, let me just quickly walk you through what God's going to do. In Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, Joseph did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although he was near. God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up in the land of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. You ever noticed that before? For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. 
Now we know that God goes with the people, a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of cloud by day to protect them in the wilderness. As you move through the rest of Exodus, God gives the Ten Commandments to his people. They roam out of disobedience in the land of wilderness. Then you come to the book of Joshua. And after Moses' death, God, through Joshua, sends the people of Israel into Canaan and they take the land. You come to the end of Joshua chapter 24 and there's this gathering of the 12 tribes and Joshua makes this famous statement, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And basically here's what he says to Israel, decide. Are you gonna serve the pagan gods, the Canaanites? Are you gonna serve the Lord our God? Verse 32, chapter 24. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem. So just as Joseph said it was gonna happen, he's buried exactly where he said he would be. God keeps his promise. This is interesting. The word for coffin used in Genesis chapter 50 is the same word used in Hebrew for ark. The Ark of the Covenant. What's in the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments. So, so you forget this, but the children of Israel carry two things through the wilderness. They carry two arks. One, the Ark of the Covenant containing God's commands and the coffin of Joseph, reminding them that God is going to keep his promise and give them what he said. So, quote, buried in a cave in Canaan, Jacob awaits the fulfillment of God's promise. Lying in a coffin in Egypt, Joseph awaits the fulfillment of God's promise. Their desire to be buried in the promised land testifies to the fact that they did not die, that they, that they do die in hope that God will fulfill his promise of a land to his people. Joseph repeated, and it's repeated for you again in Exodus. God will surely visit you. So when you come to the New Testament, which now gives us a full explanation of what's going on in the rest of the Bible, when you come to the New Testament in Luke chapter one, verse 68, it says, blessed be the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. You see this visitation that God will surely visit you is not just that he's gonna take you out of Egypt. Joseph was telling us, he was pointing us that Christ was coming, that God himself would visit us in the flesh. The Bible, just like Genesis 50, ends with anticipation. It ends this way and says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Revelation 22, 20. So I come to the end of Genesis. I come to the end of this message and I ask the so what question. Remember, we're connecting to the gospel. And I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And here's what I want you to see. God's good purposes, which are unfolding in the scripture, God's good purposes are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse one. 
Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you of first importance that I, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now question, are there very specific references and prophecies in the Bible talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus? Yes, but that's not all 1 Corinthians talking about. When 1 Corinthians 15 says, in accordance with the scriptures, Paul has in mind Genesis 50. God will surely visit you. You see, all of the scripture is pointing us to God's good promises that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ made clear to us in the cross, Jesus dying in our place for our sin and through the resurrection, proving to us that he is exactly who he said he was. He is the son of God. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have hope as followers of Christ. Paul articulates it in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable inherit the imperishable. The perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this imperishable body must put on the imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying it is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me, friends. Unless Jesus comes back, every one of us in this room is gonna die. But for those who are in Christ, death does not get the final word. And for all who die in Christ, trusting in Jesus, they all die well. But we die. And today, God's people still die. And they're buried in the earth, but they die with hope. They die with hope that through Christ's atoning work, they will inherit the new creation. That God's ancient promise of a land is still awaiting complete fulfillment. So what do you mean, pastor? I mean this. I mean that when we die and we're placed in the grave, that says this is not right. This is not how God intended it to be. And let me just say this to you. If I ever sit with your family and you say, I want this funeral to be positive. I, I want it to be a celebration. Okay. I'm halfway with you, but your mother just died. She's dead. That's not right. That's not how it's supposed to be. We mourn the death, but yes, you're right. We celebrate the life that she lived and we celebrate the hope that is to come, but we maintain this tension. We maintain this tension so that we speak to a lost world. That we're not denying sin and death. 
We're facing it head on through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we are trusting in what Christ is yet to do. Death will not get the last word. Listen, friends, we hadn't occupied the land yet. I know know some people get very excited about a piece of dirt in the Middle East. And there are some specific things said, but the culmination of the Bible is not a piece of dirt in the Middle East. The culmination in the Bible is a place that Jesus Christ is preparing. It's a new Jerusalem. It's the new heaven and the new earth, which he is going to bring to pass for his people, which we will occupy forever and forever. So what do we do from now? Well, The answer is God's good purposes fulfilled in Jesus Christ propel us forward by faith into the future. Verse 58 says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. I shared this with you last week. My my little grandmother is still struggling. It's, It's been an intense couple of days. Um, please pray for her, pray for my father. He's an only child and it's just basically us. And he's by himself today because I got so much here that's going on that I I couldn't be away from. One of the things my grandmother's asked in the last year or two is, why am I still here? Not in a cynical way, but I've taken her back to the word of God. Yesterday or day before, I don't remember, a young woman from the nursing facility where my grandmother lives called, a woman in her 30s. And here's what she said to my father. He said, you have no idea what Ruby has done and how God has used her in my life. And you have no idea the impact she has as she uses her feet to move herself up and down the hall, going from room to room. So you hear me, brother or sister. Your last labor may be flat of your back in a bed. But that labor is not in vain. You be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. And listen to me. God's doing more than you can see. Jacob got a glimpse of that. I mean, Joseph got a glimpse of that. You intended for evil, but God meant it for good. Here's what God's saying to you, Christian. Until Jesus comes, he means your life for good. For his sake and for his glory. Now I'm flipping over to 2 Corinthians, verse 20, chapter 1. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. So if you want to say, Pastor, how have you made all these audacious claims out of Genesis and tying them to the gospel? The answer is this verse right here. Because all of God's promises find their culmination in Jesus Christ. Their yes are in him. That is why through him that we utter our amen to God for his 
glory. Brothers and sisters, we walk by faith, not by sight, longing for the fulfillment of what Christ will bring to pass. Let's pray. Lord, I continue to be struck with the words. They embalmed him and put him in a coffin in Egypt. Unless you come, they'll embalm me one day and put me in a graveyard in Gastonia. But that's not it. For all who are in Christ one day, in a moment, in a twinkling of the eye, the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised. And you will bring to a completion all that you have promised according to your word. I, believe, I plead on behalf of the men and women in this room and listening to me over the internet who have not yet trusted in Christ alone for their salvation. They have no hope nor any reason for it. Today, may they repent of their sin and turn to Christ. And I pray for the believer now that as we sing and as we go, that we go in the hope of Jesus that propels us forward until the day we see you face to face. We long for that day, Lord Jesus. Come, we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.